All right. Welcome to another episode of my podcast. Today's guest has previously been on my podcast, but I'll bring her back for like a part two conversation. So we have Ashley Graham. She's a Meredith alum. We go back about almost four years now. So Mm -hmm. we went to Meredith together and now she graduated last month and she's going to tell us a little bit about herself and then we're going to go into a little deep conversation. So Hi everyone. First, I want to say thank you for allowing me back to you on the podcast. It feels like home. As Kiana stated, we go back like Cadillacs, okay? Um, <laughs> I just recently graduated from Meredith and got my double major in history and pre-law. Um, I'm all for consciousness, collect, collective truth, history. I love doing that type of stuff. Um, I feel like it's my calling and it connects me to my ancestors and be able to take up space in um, spaces that people feel like we shouldn't but anyway so um I'm into astrology I am a playing card reader and I also read tarot and I have a mini tarot business which I'll get into later about how that came about and um yeah I um I'm also an indigo child so I'm um I'm very spiritual and that was warped by the creator my parents and my culture I'm afro-indigenous from the Hawawasa Pony and Anzaman tribes so yeah that's great so I think the first question I would ask you, since it's been, you know, a couple months since we did our last interview, how has things changed from then until now that we're talking to each other again? Um, I'm definitely a lot more self-aware and dedicated to filling up my cup because as an empath, like I'm always pouring into other people. Um, I'm currently in the process of healing um, a situation, a situationship with someone who I think is my twin flame. And really just going through that journey of, uh, I think they call it a spiritual ascension. I meditate a lot more. I connect more with nature. Um, I usually am just in my room and I'm trying to get out more, Um, eating healthier. I've lost five, I've lost five pounds. I'm in the process of cleaning my body, you know, and giving it more healthy food to help my spirit. So yeah, I've just really been, pouring love into myself and also helping others through tarot and just spiritual work and being a light worker. That's, that's great. I think the things that you mentioned, I'm also doing as well. Like these days, I find myself being a little cooped up in my apartment. I live by myself. So sometimes it can't be helped when you're just by yourself. So I'm really like holding myself accountable to like spend more time in nature. That's kind of like my biggest challenge. But mm-hmm. I think a good thing about that is like in my neighborhood, in our complex, they have pools. So the pools just opened back up this week. So that was like my way of getting back outside. Like, yeah, I have a a motivator to go outside. Get that vitamin D. (laughs) Yes, I need all the serotonin, you know, empaths. I feel like empaths really do need a lot of serotonin because we tend to be, we tend to be more prone to getting like depression and anxiety. And mm-hmm. you know, I think being outside in nature, it gives you kind of like that boost of serotonin and that dopamine that you really need. So that's always been like a big thing for me. And also eating healthy. Granted, I've been doing a good job, but once again, it's summertime. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> temptations, temptations start to creep in, you know, ice cream and, you know, all those frozen snacks, you know, it's kind of hard to like stay away from, especially like when I'm out with like a friend or when I went with my uncle, 
uh, I think it was like two weekends ago and we went out, went out and about and there was, was like this little like bakery place that we had drove by and I was just looking at it. You <laughs> know, like I want some. <laughs> like I was like reaching out the window. My uncle's like, what's wrong with you? Like you don't need to eat that with those. Like it's very tempting. I don't know why during the summertime I always crave like sweets and stuff. Like, I think it's just Southern culture is just centered around food. Like if somebody graduated, yeah. where are you going? Out to eat after a funeral? What you having? A repast? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, graduation, cookouts. It is important to treat yourself in moderation, but that's if you have self-control. So like, yeah, Absolutely. and also happy summer solstice too to everybody out there. Happy summer solstice. <laughs> <laughs> It's here. It's really here. I think we're in retrograde too. Yes. Um, Pluto and Saturn. So if you have Scorpio, Aquarius, and Capricorn placements, you're probably going to be hit the hardest. I know I was. It felt like I didn't get hit as, as bad with Mercury, but I have um, a lot of Capricorn and Aquarius placements, and those are ruled by Saturn. So yeah, <laughs> I think I have quite a few Scorpio placements on mine. So it's probably me too. <laughs> so given that the pandemic's kind of like kept us apart, like I really would have loved to like be at the graduation and like support all like my fellow history international studies majors in graduation. It was kind of hard just watching all through a TV screen <laughs> to be honest. But how was that like? that experience for you? Like, I know it must've been a blur because it probably went by so fast, but could you like talk a little bit about that? Of course, it, I'm, I'll just recap senior year and then move into graduation. It yeah. really still has not hit that I have graduated, I guess because time time is number one an illusion already, we already know that. Yeah. Some parts it feels like it went by fast and then some parts it went by slow, like second semester just flew by. Um, Meredith decided at the last minute to do an in-person graduation. I really had a hard time struggling what family members I was going to invite because we were allotted two to three tickets. So that was very stressful. Like, you know, as if I'm like, okay, I don't want this person to be upset with me, that type of thing. It was very quick. Um, in years past, they do it by schools, but you could walk up in any order with your card. Um, you took your pictures, which was weird because you had a mask on your face. <laughs> I noticed that. I was like, y'all taking pictures with the mask on? <laughs> and th those pictures were very expensive, okay? But um, it was great to be able to celebrate in, in, in person with family and friends. It did not have the joyous, I guess, because there wasn't as many people there. Um, and there were not a lot of professors there either. So it was really um, intimate. But like you said, COVID, I did not have a graduation party. I just went out to dinner. Um, with my grandparents and my mom. So those are my biggest supporters, but yeah. It was nice to walk the stage and they also uh, looked out for 2020 as well and they got to come too, so. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I was like, maybe they'll get to walk the stage, 2020. Mm -hmm. Maybe they get to walk the stage too. And I was kind of surprised that they went forward with that. So that was good. I think like for me personally, when I graduated, I think it took me probably three months before it hit to realize that I had finally graduated. I mean, I don't think that's a long time, but I, for me, it was kind of long because it's just like, oh, especially when August came because yeah. I, mean, I moved, moved to Durham for work. But in my mind, I'm thinking, 
man, don't have to go to school. <laughs> but I, I obviously, obviously, I didn't have to go to school. I graduated. So, yeah. Yeah, and then registering for classes. And I'm in the process of transferring my stuff to my new email. And it's like, your net ID will expire in five days. I'm like, my net ID. <laughs> Oh, I don't need to use Brightspace now and I don't need to use WebAdvisor. But um, I am thankful for my experience. Um, second generation college student. Um, I could not have done this without my mother um, just getting me through everything. I really had a traumatic experience at Meredith and that has also contributed to my healing. Um, I spoke about this on the Juneteenth panel from attending Meredith. I'm sorry if you hear my, these notifications are going off, I'm sorry. Um, from attending Meredith, I, I got diagnosed with a hormonal disorder because I was constantly stressed. I was not sleeping at regular periods. And, you know, racism is a, it, it does cause trauma to be stored up in the body. So I'm in the yeah. process of purging and releasing and journaling. And yeah, so I, I am definitely happy um, to be out of there. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's like great that we can kind of like transition over to like your experience at Meredith because I kind of feel like it is kind of something important to be talked about, especially there's like that intersectionality for women, but yet, you know, also women of color. Mm -hmm. So it proposes, you know, a very, very different challenges for us as, you know, especially black women. Right. So could you like, I, without like really like going deep into detail, just whatever you're comfortable with, can you like talk about some certain experiences that made you like scratch your head, just like, hmm, like I wonder why this is, or this is something mm -hmm. maybe Meredith can do better better on. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things that Meredith can do better is actually listen. Okay, don't email me. Oh, my prayers and condolences. My thoughts were listening. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. You're not an active listener. We have students of color for a decade, to my understanding, have been mapping out what plan and steps you need to be taking. Hire more black professors. I went through Meredith and didn't have a single black professor. We have a entirely Eurocentric curriculum. Yes, um, there are not enough black mentors. Um, I would like to you know, honor Miss Tamika, um, the assistant dean of Meredith, who has also been a great mentor. Yes. Um, but, there, there was really no sense of community. Um, one thing that made me scratch my head is that Meredith will exploit um, innocent black and brown women just walking around campus to put on um, Instagram to capitalize, but they don't have the resources to help us. Um, for my department, for example, I had to write a Black Lives Matter statement, something that doesn't make sense. How is our motto going strong but yet, if you talk about racism and you stand up for your beliefs and just for human rights, you are labeled as problematic. You are outcasted. For me personally, yeah, exactly. I was awarded top 10 outstanding senior, but my strong story nomination was revoked. That doesn't make sense. How can the college honor me for my entire class out of 600 people? But out of my small department where I was the only Afro-Indigenous person, the only Indigenous person in my department, my strong story got, re got revoked. That does not make sense to me. I have seen others in my department get awards and I'm not being cocky. I have the work ethic of all the ancestors, okay? So I'm <laughs> like, mm, that person's not 
on the honor society. That part, that, that's a little weird. And I'm like, oh, they're white. So they get a pass. Um, if you are plus size, if you are, even within the black community, if you are a dark skinned black person, your experience is definitely, you are going to be demonized. And that is just white supremacy upheld in the, in the highest regard. Yeah. And it's funny how you bring up like the promo photos that they post on Instagram. I remember I had an experience where I was part of like a little, those little promo shoots, but mm-hmm. obviously the majority of them were white. You had like maybe like an Asian, like an Asian female, mm-hmm. a Hispanic Latino female, Latinx female. And then me, I'm a black woman, but you know, I have a lighter skin tone. Mm-hmm. So there's also that colorist aspect as well. And it, it's, it's kind of sickening to me because it's just like, Basically, it's you're pandering. It's kind of like you're pandering to a group of people in order to make them feel like, okay, you're welcome, you're included. But at the same time, when they come in, you know, that statement is not even true. And another thing that's kind of funny to me is that the hypocrisy of it all. Like when you look at like those those banners that you see on campus, is is a very very strict image that they have. Yeah. You have to be skinny, you know, long hair, makeup, you know, I don't wear makeup. <laughs> and you know, it's a very a look that they they like and they mostly are white. So let's call it for what it is. It's the Aryan look. You gotta be skinny, blonde, and blue-eyed. And I'm gonna say it now that I have my degree. I don't understand how women of color are qualified, right? to train other people in academia, but yet you'll get somebody tenure that sleeps with students. That doesn't sit right with me. Uh, and I think I know who you're talking about too. But. <laughs> there, are, there are multiple professors at that school. I can count on about two hands, about seven of them. It's disgusting. I, I know two of my head right now. <laughs> Girl, you already know. It, it is absolutely disgusting. And my thing is, it's like, how are you for equity? Because the class president made a statement, we're for equity and how, when the only time I see black adults is when I go into BDH, housekeeping and groundskeeping. What message is that sending? Okay, let's break it down to history, right? Okay, Meredith was established in 1891, Brown v. Board of Education, 1954. Meredith did not admit women of color until 1968, one year before my mother was born. So black women, have not been at Meredith very long. Uh, Latinx women were uh, coded as white under the law until 1957 with the Texas court case. So Latinx women were allowed to attend Meredith before black women were. Mm -hmm. So your history, you're not making amends by that. And then you isolate students when they speak up against stuff like that. Like I should not have had to go get an attorney. I shouldn't have. My, I pay just, we pay just like everybody else, $50,000. That's a lot. It's a lot of money. I'm not here to play around. I'm here to get my degree and get help. Yeah, that's an investment, a big investment. When you go to college in general, it is an investment, not only on like yourself, but on your career and how much you're worth and how much you see yourself. So if you see something that's like out of pocket, and that needs to be called out. Like, yeah, like call it out. Like if I'm paying you, I'm giving you my time and my energy and as grueling as college is, it can break down even the most 
energetic person, outgoing person. Like people have the right to speak out on things that are not satisfying them or just downright problematic. And that's the problem I kind of have. Like not just with Meredith, which is like this, like the college system in general. It's when students have like an uprising or like a, a conflict with something that's like either racial or, you know, discriminatory against marginalized groups of people. When they release statements and say that they're in solid, like in solitary, it comes off as passive. It's very passive. And that's that's the stuff I can't I can't get with. So I just think that this is very important that these things are talked about. So when the next generation of college students come in, they know what they're signing up for and they know right. what to look out for. And also this is the year of Aquarius. We have seven planets in Aquarius and Aquarius mm -hmm. is human and I'm an Aquarius rising. Aquarius, um, that is the humanitarian of the Zodiac. They are all about communication, creativity, ebb and flow. So a lot of things are about to get exposed um, with the government with a lot of institutions. Um, this generation, our generation is Pluto and Sagittarius. Um, spirituality is on the rise. A lot of things, and that's the problem. Our generation is labeled as sensitive. We're not sensitive. We're just unlearning these toxic cycles and we're breaking generational curses and it's making- And, deep, and deprogramming, deprogramming yeah. and reprogramming in a sense of not like these toxic institutions, but in a sense of, like balance and like the concept of duality and really having a deeper understanding of spirituality. And I don't really like when people label us like our generation is sensitive either because all honesty, those that call us sensitive, it, they're pretty much triggered <laughs> by what is being called out because it challenges their beliefs. It's a, it's a lot of cognitive dissonance. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing like the, the uprising spiritual, like the spiritual awakening, but you're also seeing like a rise of cognitive dissonance. And it's kind of like they're in combat with one another. Yeah, I kind of describe it as like, you have the people living in the matrix and people that are trying to escape the matrix and survive yes. deeper on two separate timelines. Uh -huh. And it's like, while we're pushing forward, they going backwards. And then there's just this space of time in the middle. And it's kind of yeah. like, okay, how do we transcend that gap? You gotta like jump on the timeline, like, you know. Yeah. Also, a lot of this is performative going back to Meredith and I'm even gonna tie in Juneteenth. Don't get me wrong, I am totally happy about Juneteenth, love it. Yeah. However, it is performative. We are at, it's kind of like when you ask for a raise and you get a pizza party. Like it's, that's it's nice. Like, it's like, oh, here, you want a cookie? Yeah. Right, that's nice, but okay, why not Juneteenth and anti-lynching bill? Why not Juneteenth and North Carolina Crown Act? People should not be getting discriminated for their crown and glory. This grows from my head. Professionalism is just white supremacy manifesting in the work environment. I said what I said. I don't understand. How <laughs> brave, how is that unprofessional? You gonna wrap my hair when, when I leave out of here and it's raining, you gonna wrap my hair? You gonna pay Keisha to redo my blowout? <laughs> so, uh, like, the math is a mess. mess. A mess, girl. I'm like, uh, uh, no. But yet, the whole premises of the act makes no sense at all. Absolutely no sense. There's no logic in it at all. And people are debating it, and it's crazy. I'm like, I, what? I, what, is it, what is there to debate about? 
<laughs> it, like, like you said, systemically, there's the pay gap. Black women get paid less than white women. If you're going to pay us less anyway, then why do you care about that? Why? It's that, what, what you care about what I got on my head? If you're not even going to pay me enough, pay me enough for my work now. It's control. It is slavery. It is those same antics. Slavery manifesting. Just like women not having um, reproductive autonomy. That is coming from slavery. You don't even get me started on the whole pro-life, pro-choice debate. I ain't got time. Um, <laughs> That's a whole other video. <laughs> I ain't got time. But um, it's like, no, it's just, down to, it's just down to control. Why? Because you benefit from exploiting marginalized people. That old money, corporations... That old money is the money that was stolen from Black folks and Black Wall Street, but we ain't gonna talk about that. Yeah, hmm. Hmm. that's the real tea, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> so back to like the experiences at, at Meredith, I think another thing that you pointed out really was the, the Eurocentric piece of, you know, attending the college, especially in terms of history. Yeah. I think I being honest, I think I've learned more historically speaking outside of Meredith than I did in it. Because to be honest, it was kind of like a lot of the stuff that was being taught was kind of like a reverb or rehash of like like certain history lessons that we probably learned before. It just probably put it in more debt than anything. So I, I agree with that. Yeah. So what do you, in like your suggestion, because you can see they're trying to do something about it, but you know, it's not, it's not as adequate, you know? Mm, I don't think they're trying to do nothing. They just doing a lot of talking and just paying random black folks off the street for, for representation. I said what I said. Mm. Okay. <laughs> you are the department head. And, and you have a you have the upper hand because the Dean of Arts and Humanities is a history professor. You have the resources you need, right? Like Malcolm X says, they're not gonna teach you history, boo, because it's gonna it's gonna make you revolutionary. They're not gonna teach you black history because I've asked. I have suggested Native American history, black history, and not just slavery either. We do have civil rights law, but it is taught by a white woman. We, yes. we do have a uh, history of the South Civil War class taught by a white man from the deep South whose grandmother was in the Confederacy. They're uh -huh. teaching it from a point of war, not of humanity, okay? That's yes. the difference. So students have suggested African-American studies minor. Our curriculum is Eurocentric. If I recall correctly, we had to have six credits of, of, of European, six credits of American history, yeah. um, and then six credits of non-Western. And non-Western, you, you really just had to choose from Asia, uh, Asian studies or modern Middle East, but it was not African. And we yeah. have to ask ourselves why? Because they don't wanna teach you that their great, their two to three times great grandparents were slave masters. Yet the, the history that they're teaching was written by folks during um, Reconstruction. Yeah, it's very, very impartial. And I think my issue is that whenever something's being suggested, 
it's like they add like certain like things to the curriculum or just like certain like aspects to like just the college in general, just to kind of like put a band-aid on the situation. Yes. Put a band-aid. Like, oh, it's a boo-boo, put a band-aid on it. And mm-hmm. that's what it goes back to like that, that passiveness. Like they're not actively confronting them. They're just like saying, oh, we hear you, you know, let's move on. And I'm and, sorry. Yeah. And for the history department, it's like, I love history. I, I just love history in general. But it becomes a problem where if we're just addressing history from like one aspect or in this case, one portion of the world. Like European Eurocentric history is not the entirety of world history. It may be a big chunk of it due to like the colonialism, imperialism, slavery, everything else, but it, it doesn't become a problem because, you know, other groups of people, in this case, women of color, they don't feel as represented in their history. Right, and that is another thing, speaking of history, we're an all women's college. So uh-huh. we don't have women and gender studies as a major. Um, I took women in global perspective, that class has taught over two years, but we don't have that. And I find that incredibly weird. Why do they not have it? Because it's going to call, it's going to challenge the patriarchy. That's why they don't offer that class. And then if you want to take it, oh, we have a program, you can take it at state. Then they give you hell, excuse me, then they give you hell if you want to transfer another class. So it's like they're making it impossible. Another thing that I noticed and I think is weird in the history major, we have to take in international studies as well, you have to take two 100 level classes. Western Civ and World History. They're essentially the same classes, just with two different prompts. And 102 is also part of Gen Ed. So it's like, I, I'm i not understanding. And if you want to take loopholes in like the- It is weird. And I took the time to read this and African-American literature is a 400 level English class with Dr. Johnson nobody is going to want to take a 400 level class outside of their discipline that's just not going to happen because we have to have a certain timeline to complete our degree so like you said all these loopholes prerequisites no one's going to take three classes to get to it they're not going to do that if that's the case you learn outside it's it's, it's crazy yeah, and then they wonder why people want to transfer out. Like, it makes no sense. 100% makes no sense. But yeah, I feel like my the class I learned the most in would have to have been methods of historical research. I think that was the class that I learned the most in. Because like you said, that was a great class. Classes, we already know, okay, King George is mad at, at Uncle John and they're going to bomb his ship and the queen, we we know that it's the same old layout. We got you. I want to learn something exciting. I want to learn about African divinity, kings and queens, like what happened like before, like the, the slavery. Right. That, that's what I want to know about. And talk about how is Africa being impacted now. And I have even had to correct professors with their language because it's easy as a white person for you to say, oh, slaves. No. That is dehuman, that's dehumanizing. Um, my ancestors are not slaves. They were enslaved because they were- Enslaved, that's the proper way. Yes, they were human trafficked and your ancestors, if you're white, 
they're rapists and murderers, period. That's just straight up how it is. Um, uh-huh. It puts the burden back on the oppressor, not slave. No, these PR ancestors have names and they had stories. And even their names, like we know them as now, are not their names. So the least you could say, okay, enslaved Africans, not slaves. I, I don't like that. And I always capitalize the being black. I have gotten points taken off on papers for that. We capitalize French and English being black. That's crazy. I'll tell you about it after this recording ends. But yes, I capitalize the being black and do because African-American, okay, let's, I want to unpack that term. African-American, that's cool and all. Number one, but some Africans don't even really mess with black folks like that. Number two. That's true, very true is denoting second-class citizenship. We, um, in the white mind, America is synonymous with white. So we have to say African-American, Mexican-American, Native American. No <laughs> one says European-American. I wouldn't know, because Caucasian to me is not quite accurate. A lot of white folks are descended from the English and the Irish, not from the Caucasian. So yeah. nobody says European-American. Why are we saying African-American? We don't even know where we come from in Africa. If someone calls me African-American, I nine times out of 10 feel like they racist. If it's an older white person, keep it real. But <laughs> I need real. Like, okay. Um, but yeah, I identify as just black. Like I'm black. Like I, black like, is also more inclusive of the diaspora as well. Cause not I'd say black or melanated. And for me personally, and African-American, I've always felt like, very I was always like kind of in between on that because mm-hmm. in a way it's like okay there is this high potential that I descend from Africa like I understand that however you know if we look at the grand scheme of it especially in terms of like the diaspora you know mm-hmm. it's like you said like a lot of Africans don't really truly identify with like blacks in America you know they, they have their own thing just like we do so I think it is kind of important to like have that differentiation. And I, I honestly, I just think that's kind of, kind of low down that they took points off <laughs> for you like capitalizing to be in black. <laughs> that makes no sense. And even then just like, cause I wrote my thesis on eugenics, even the word Negro is racist because it comes from Negroid. Okay, it's the same like just like Oriental, the same person that came over Oriental is the same person that came over Negroid. All of that is racist. Okay. Even the term black, like it's just it's just so weird, like that your identity is just boiled down to what one bird-brained white man thought <laughs> in the 1400s. Like okay, and that just 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 shows us how interconnected patriarchy really is. And even like my tribe we were renamed by white people. Our traditional name is the Yesa, but the white man calls us Halawasaponi. We still say both, but like, it just, and it, that's why I get so upset when people are like, you are always talking about race. This country was built off of race. So yes, we talk about race. Every day I turn on the news, somebody getting murdered. And that's okay. a very lucrative a very lucrative industry. I always say that division is lucrative 
and it's more lucrative now more than ever. It pays to be divided, you know. It's kind of, I feel like it's one of the big drivers of what keeps this country going is the, the racial division. Well, one of the things, one of the things. I think, I think you're absolutely right because we can even talk about how slavery, there's a, le- a loophole in the 13th Amendment, the prison industrial complex, sweatshops, mm-hmm. um, globalization. Um, wow, yeah, it, it definitely is. Because if you think about it, you pull over a black person, you get money for the ticket. They got to pay you fees legal legal fees court fees mm-hmm. taken away from their children causing folks to get on the system which is nothing wrong with that but it just is a never it's like a never-ending cycle and then when people are incarcerated they can't vote but they can get counted for the census why because the black vote is crucial in america this is very it's very important why do you think every election cycle mm-hmm. there's a lot of you know, campaign messages geared towards our group of people because it's, it's so important. Like we're <laughs> constantly bombarded <laughs> with messages during the election cycle. I mean, we're bombarded with messages year round, but especially during election time, it's very prevalent. My whole thing is, look, I didn't like either one of them and I showed them want to vote because to me, as an indigenous person, I'm like, I'm very radical and leftist. I'm like, okay, voting is colonial. It's not gonna change the problem. We need to overthrow the system. But I did vote, voted for Biden, okay? Now let's talk about that. You, were, you mentioned imperialism earlier. Both parties are, both, both parties are dedicated to upholding imperialism. Within yes. the first week of office, Biden bombed Syria. And I'm like, what now? What did, as Nene's leaks say, now what did I do to get in this? What did they do? Why, why are you bombing people? And you're, <laughs> and you're feeding and mocking and campaigning off of black trauma. We ain't even passed the George Floyd bill, but you find them out to eat at the White House. And we have to be very intentional about how we talk about um, the deaths of our black brothers and sisters. Because yeah. I see a lot of people on Twitter, thank you, George Floyd. He did not want to die. That, yeah, and that kind of, I see it on Instagram all the time. I'm like, why are you thanking him for this? It's like, he he didn't want to die. It's not like he was asking for it. And even like, you know, he should like finally get his rest, like rest in peace. There's no sense of thanking him. And I don't even think for a person that comes from a, a really genuine place. It may they may try to make it seem like it is, but I'm like, no. There there's ways to go about, you know, dealing with these issues of police brutality against blacks. And thanking someone for practically dying like this call like it is, that's not a way to go about it. So I don't know. I just feel iffy about that. It was just it's kind of creepy if you think about it too. It's just like, why is one's value, especially the values of a black and melanated folks, why is it now valuable when they like lose their life, whether they're like willing to risk it all or or not? Like that's not the point. Part of the reason why that circulated is because George Floyd has had a white girlfriend and she got on them in front of the media. Thank you, George. And I'm like, what? what the freak 
like water. I remember that, and I cringe so hard. I couldn't even watch the whole thing. I had to turn it off. And this just shows you can have, be in interracial relations and not be woke. Because why would you say that? Like this man was. I did not watch the video, but I did hear the audio. This man was calling out for his mom. That should send a message that he was scared. He was frightened. He did not want to die. He shouldn't have had to die. And I mean, we can say that his death sparked change, but we should not thank him for the change. That's a little backwards. Mm -hmm. And when people are like, oh, this is justice. This is not justice. It's accountability. It's yeah. not justice. And the only reason why they found that man guilty was because folks was going to burn that city down because Dante Wright had died a couple of days before that. They were going to tear it down. 22 and a half years. I know black men in jail right now serving longer for having small amount of marijuana. I am not happy about 22 and a half years. You That's took cool. a life. I am, I, I am not for the death penalty. Usually he should have got the death penalty or life. I, I personally think he should have gotten the death penalty. Like, like, I'm just like you. I'm not entirely for the death penalty, except in cases of like murder, mm -hmm. like any very heinous crimes that cause us like tragedy and impacts a lot of people. Like those, that's the kind of situation where it's like, he should have got the death penalty. Like there's no way 22 years that for me in the grand scheme of things, it's like a slap on the wrist for me. Cause it's like us, we 20, we, I'm, I'm gonna be 22. That my childhood went by fast as hell, excuse my French. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's, and even he showed no remorse. And his mom, people saying my son's a racist. He is, he, yeah. Well, what the hell else is he? <laughs> he he's not a horrible person. And, and it's just like women, white women especially, are very problematic. Not all of them. Let's look at Emmett Till. Why did he die? Because of a white woman. And he didn't even do anything didn't do nothing and it's just there's this trend on tiktok that bothers me where white women are and then they put their hand up and they start smiling that's scary to me they are fake crying i forgot the name of the challenge uh, for the lime lip manipulation right there yes, they are <laughs> that's all they're showing <laughs> and i'm like this is scary because what if you do that while you call them that? I just, I don't know. They don't, it just is scary to me. Yeah, I, I can feel like where you're coming from. Cause it's just like, is this the, the type of image you want to portray? Like you already get a lot of flack to begin with. And a lot of it is justified. Why, why put yourself in the position to do that kind of stuff? And then wonder why people are just like, oh, so this is why they're all so manipulative. So yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of creepy, but I think the thing about social media is that it kind of exposes these kinds of situations and exposes the people who are willingly taking part in that or are complicit to these types of like racist remarks, bigoted remarks, wherever the case may be, and it, so in a way, social media is kind of helping with yes. this issue. Not entirely because it can be toxic. Toxic is all hell. But in some aspects, it can be helpful if we're talking about 
helping us get to the root of like these social issues that we're still facing. Mm -hmm. So, and it takes me back even before George Floyd, you know, like the incidents like Philando Castile or, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like being filmed and whatnot. As gory as it is, is like, it is kind of like a way to like help people with a wake up call. It's like this, this stuff yeah. is happening. And just like even globally with like all the riots, like I'm paying attention to like the riots that are going on down in Brazil right now. And, yeah. And I think it was like Bill 490 that was just like recently signed into act and that affects a lot of people in that country. And there's like a lot of riots going on. But, you know, without social media, you know, we probably wouldn't even be familiar with these things. Just like the, um, the whole issue of like Palestine and Israel. The, right. Something that's been going on for years, probably since Israel was like established, like World, after World War II, 1945, like, you know, that shit's been going on forever. But now more people are aware of it through social media. So I think it is kind of important to put that in there because those social media can like be draining, energy draining, especially like impacts like us. Mm -hmm. but it can be really helpful for us to have like awareness of these kinds of things. And I've been kind of crazy enough, like social media is kind of helping with like the collective shift that's going on right now. And I like to say that globally, we're going through like a big, massive collective shadow work right now. And in a way, social media kind of like, kind of like helps with that. I don't want to say it's like a big tool, but in a way, it's kind of like a little bit of a, a sister. I think ways. it's a great way to organize because like because of social media, I've made a lot of um, political activists in Canada, um, some even from Australia. And it's like, dang, little old me got these connections. But uh, <laughs> it, it's nice for organizing. And I'm actually going to be speaking um, on a panel tomorrow um, for Black Indians NC, if y'all want to tune in. And we're going to be talking about Pride Month and Two-Spirit Indigenous Relations. And I have a really great friend that works for the United Nations that's going to be coming on the panel and she's from Canada, all because of social media and networking. So right. I think it can be beneficial, but people just have to, especially empaths, have to use their discernment. How do I want to pour into this? Do I need to set boundaries? What time should I be on social media? And who should I be following and reaching out to? Oh yeah, most definitely. And it also comes with like that purging. Mm -hmm. uh, I know for me recently, like I have like unfollowed accounts that don't really like serve me anymore. And it's kind of refreshing. And like you have like that little cleanse. And for me, I've never really been like, you know, pulled to like comment on threads anyway on social media. But I think I'm kind of glad that I don't. Because, you know, there's a lot of energies, a lot of energy, especially if like, it's like a big account, like the shade room and girl, look, <laughs> I, I'll watch like the video clips or like, just look at the posts on the shade room, but I will not, I will not read the comments to save my life. As someone who commented on the shade room, it was nothing bad. I got over like 20,000 likes and people were so mad. And I'm like, this man was being rude. Why are we debating? Okay, I just blocked it, unblocked it, and I said, you know what? I'll just send it to my friends from now on. I learned that lesson, girl. I am not coming. I am not stepping into the shade room no more. Uh uh. People be crazy in the threads, and I remember reading one comment section. I think it was on the shade room, 
And when you're talking about people beefing in the comments over one little 30 second video clip, I'm like, nah. Literally, literally. No ma'am. No ma'am. With Lil Nas X and every, oh my God, people were pissing me off. I'm like, guys, he's not a Satanist. He's being funny. Because Christians always say, oh, if you're gay, you go to hell. So he put the imagery in there. He's not a, I'm like, y'all really think if people worship Satan, they would be so outspoken? Well, they might be. But anyway, back to the point, people were really debating this man's eternal life stance. It's crazy. And it, the comments. One's eternal life stance, except for the ancestors and the creator. You don't know that. <laughs> like, like, you don't have that power. <laughs> Like, yeah, you're going to hell. You think one time I was like, you think it's hot now? Wait till you go to hell. And I'm like, ma'am, but you probably got 50 11 baby daddies running around and you worried about what little Nas is doing. Exactly. Because he's arguing. He arguing yeah. about the Holy Ghost, the Son, the Father. Probably don't listen to none of them. I'm just like, you know, please be quiet. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, he is a black gay man from Georgia. And I listened to his coming out story and, and it really moved me. So, and growing up in a Baptist family, that is no easy feat. So like, I don't understand, even within the Black Lives Matter movement, I've seen this hashtag, all Black Lives Matter. And that is to be inclusive of trans, you know, non-binary, um, LGBTQIA plus folks in the community because they are part of the community. I don't understand I do understand Christianity has a like has a tight grip like this on the community. Yes. Where people feel like gay and black are mutually exclusive. Like that you just can't no 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 no. If you're gay, you're not it's one not. of them. And it's not. And I think me growing up, I I think the ancestors, I think the creator that I did not fall like into that stereotype of like making them mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. But, I grew up around family members that that did, and then I would be like, I like like the awkward, the awkward person like in the room because it's just like, guys, you know, people, black people could be gay and black at the same time. It it is possible, you know. And it's kind of like a thing for me, like in terms of religion. I've really been thinking about like my relationship to religion, you know, outside of like my family. Because like you said, Christianity, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of several factors that like ties Christianity and black and the black community together. But what what is like kind of like your stance on like that like that intersection now. I don't really think it intersects, but like kind of like like what brings um, both entities together. So kind of like blackness and Christianity. Yeah. Like together. Okay. Um I'm gonna start off with this one part and then ease into that. You know me, I gotta tell a little story. All right. <laughs> so do you know how in the Bible it says is it is it spoil the rod and spare the child? I might have said that totally backwards. Yeah, so yeah, they, I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, okay, because I was like, I don't know. Um, personally, a lot of people will use the Bible to inflict harm on their children. Because even in my own family, I'm very outspoken. I will respect you, but Christianity, along with conservative Black values, 
<clears throat> you have to honor mother and father, right? That's a common verse we hear, but it yeah. won't, they won't read the verse about not provoking your children to wrath because then you're just disrespectful, right? Mm -hmm. And so everything you know about religion has been taught down, has been passed down orally from slave masters. Why do we think beatings and whoopings are so normalized? I'm still having that internal battle about if I want to whoop my child or not. Um, I may, I, I don't know. I don't, I really don't know. Uh, I, I, I feel you a hundred percent. I don't know. I personally, I personally wouldn't want to do it. I think for me personally, it is kind of a way to like, kind of get the emotions like de-escalated in order to like really like sit sit a child child or children down to like have a conversation with them and like explain to them why certain things about their behavior isn't you know right or they didn't do something right and like to not do it again and so I do understand like the aspects of like you know giving a whooping because maybe they feel like that's like a way to, I guess, put the child in their place. But at the same time, it's just like communication is very important. And yeah, and that's like kind of like my thing. Because I agree with you. There are other ways. Like, for example, if my child, future child, does not clean their room, why am I going to get my blood pressure up over a belt and beat you? Exactly. I'll just remember that. Oh, can I go a little Timmy? um is that room clean oh okay try talking to me when you clean your room because when you spank your children I feel like my dad was toxic masculinity in the black community I know you asked me about Christianity so I won't go in too deep into that I felt like I could not talk to him about anything because I mean my dad's a Pisces I'm a cancer so it was a lot of emotions all the time but he didn't oh, know <laughs> I had to throw shade, okay? My situation shit was with a Pisces too. Anyway, <laughs> I, I was out there, the delusions. Anyway, so I was terrified. My dad whooped me because I swallowed a quarter as a two-year-old child. And I remember that. And I was terrified. And then he would get angry if I didn't share stuff with him. But if I share stuff with you, you're going to get mad. And that's because he was raised in, a, in, a, in an abusive household. And so I'm determined to break that. But going back to Christianity, I feel like, especially when people hear about tarot, oh, that's demonic. It's not because I'm praying to my ancestors of the highest white light and the Holy Spirit. People, mm -hmm. people got to understand the Holy Spirit, the universe, God, the cosmos, it's all one thing. It literally is just one thing. Yeah, it's not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. And Christianity has taught us that ancestral veneration is wrong. If okay, the Bible say that God made our ancestors and all people, then why is that wrong? Exactly. Everything that we know has come from white people. And we even see with throughout the world of Christianity, there are many different sects of Baptists. You got Southern Baptists, Northern Baptists, Free Will Baptists, Missionary Baptists. It's crazy. And I think in the civil rights era, we really see the importance of the church. Um, I, even in my family, they'll have baby showers at church. But what is so weird to me is I find that Black people, Black Christians, they pick and choose what aspects of the Bible they want to follow. 
they'll oust yeah. the gay cousin, yes. but embrace the pedophile uncle. And I've always wondered growing up, why do I have to put on a robe in my own house because uncle so-and-so is coming over here? Or why do I have to like put on a t-shirt, change out my tank top because so-and-so is coming over? I kid you not, when this one uncle comes around, my grandma makes me put on a bra, a long shirt, long shirt over my PJs and a robe after have it zipped all the way up. And that's the point, like why go through all that though? If you know like what this person is allegedly or just flat out into, why, why do all that though? And if people really read, because a lot of people in black community and just Christians in general, we have sermon, you know, sermons on Sunday, but you you won't you won't read your Bible when you get home. A lot of the stories about rape in the Bible, people need to read about that. Yes. They do because the blame was often placed on a woman. But now we have to realize the Bible should be a living document. It should be you should be kind of like a consultation guide. It should not be, you cannot use Old Testament principles in 2021. We are in a completely different society now. And religion can program you. And my grandma, she's an Aquarius, she's a free thinker. Um, she's also a baby boomer, but she is a little homophobic. We're working on it, working on that. Uh -huh. But um, she's a mess. Anyway. <laughs> But at least I know that though, and I confront her. And that's another thing. If you homophobic and racist, it starts at home. You gotta like shut that down because I would want my white peers to shut down their racist family members. And out of support of my LGBTQIA plus cousins, friends, and siblings, I'm gonna say something. Anyway, she was like, You can do something religiously every day and it will send and it can send you to hell. She was like, if you religiously kill somebody and do something in a pattern, that doesn't mean that it's right. And I was like, you know what? You own to something. Just because you go to church every Sunday, that does not mean that you are religious. If you are not applying those principles to your life. I'm sure the man that killed George Floyd is Christian because most white folks are and go to church every Sunday. That does not make you nobody because your relig religion will send you to hell for sure. You have to have a relationship outside of that with the creator. You just have to. Mm. And I, I think that it, what it looks like for me is not going to look like for somebody else. Exactly. It, it's all different. And that's something that, you know, for the past couple of years, I have been like really getting into the groove of. And for me personally, it was kind of like a, a guilt in me because I also grew up in a Baptist family mm -hmm. and we went to church frequently. And now it's just like, I don't go to church as frequently as I used to. I, I spend time with the creator among the creation that that's out there, nature, you know, med being meditative and, you know, giving thanks, being grateful. And it is just as fruitful. I feel like even more fruitful than being in a church building. And going back to like the, the money piece is very lucrative church religion industry is very lucrative. Why do you think all these mega churches be all around the world and people are giving up like a lot of their, their hard-earned money to churches is a very big thing. Exactly. And I just want to touch about you made me think of this. So currently in Canada, 
they have found over 1,023 graves. At, I, know, I know you saw, you posted it in your story on Instagram. Yeah, I saw that. At, at Catholic sponsored schools. Uh-huh. emotional. Those teachers were priests and they killed those children. So I understand why like people um, are hesitant. You can even look at the Spanish Inquisition. Even the people that enslaved our ancestors were Christian and taught them about the Bible. That's why I always say there's the difference between church folk and Christians. Because the biggest devils can be sitting up in the church. Amen to that. That's so true. There, there is a big name, I'm not going to name her, a big time pastor in Raleigh, okay? And she is constantly traveling. Why? Because at her church, you have to give a maximum amount of money when you put in the offering. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. What if someone does not have that money to meet that quota? Are they not welcome in the house of the Lord? It's very judgmental. I had a friend that was low income and um, she did not feel welcome at church because she wasn't in her Sunday's best. And I'm like, why are you mistreating her when Jesus was not rich? Jesus is not how white Christians pay him to be. He's not white. He was not rich and he would not have been Republican. So I'm very- I know. <laughs> Like if you were to see Jesus, if you were to see a Middle Eastern man walking past you today, you call him a slur. Yeah. You, what, that's what bothers me about missionary work. It, it, it's missionary work to me is just white savior, the white savior complex, because you uh -huh. won't help black children in your country, which will go to Africa and crouch down in your chacos and your khaki pants for an Instagram pic. Yeah, I've always been on the fence about missionary work. I don't like that. I mean, I feel like I'm a big, everybody has free will, but some things are just destined. When you are being made in the cosmos, the, the creator already knows where you're going to end up. Now, how you end up there, you have free will of that, but yeah. I don't really feel like uh, it's make or break. We have poverty in the U.S. We should not have poverty. If I was president, I'd be like, look, if you make over $500,000, maybe lower than that, you need to donate to the homeless shelters. Get these folks off the street. It yeah, makes no everything sense. is just so imbalanced. It's a big gap in wealth. And like even going back to the incarceration piece, we got the highest rates of incarceration in the world. But like a small like percentage of the entire US population. But all this crime though we still that's what we got all this crime and all the folks <laughs> it's crazy oh my god that's oh my how god. proportionate everything is i'll be like i'll be doggone you mad at folks and and even just going back to like uh spirituality marijuana peyote, all of that was harvested, excuse me, is harvested by Southwestern indigenous tribes and North Northeastern um, indigenous tribes in Mexico, uh -huh. just like sage. But because black people were using marijuana, it was an issue and it got labeled as a type 
type one drug. Okay, because it did not align with Christianity, with white people's view. But yet if a white person does it, they're not going to go to jail. And that's why growing up, my mama always told me not to party with white people because if it went down, I was going to get in trouble. Okay. I can see why she says that. Like she didn't, stop. I mean, I can have white friends, but I'm very um, skeptical about going that I don't go to house parties. I don't go to frat parties because I'm not going to be, I don't, I'm not putting my life, I, mm -mm, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I don't do that either. <laughs> it is, I go to the liquor store. As I go to the liquor store, give me something to drink at the house, <laughs> cook me some food and sit it down, have my R&B playing, but I'm not, no, ma'am. Oh, no, I'm good. Mm -mm. It's too much of a risk. And, and it just kind of like exposes, you know, just how corrupt, you know, this society is. And that's like, the prevalent theme of like 2020 and 2021 is exposing a lot of the the big gaps of our society, all the problematic stuff. And it's only going to keep happening, especially in terms of like our government. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, all the shadiness that they've been doing since pretty much its exception in the United States. Like a lot of this going, a lot of shit is going to hit the fan. And I think what it really comes down to is like, what do we do with this information? Right. Because we can either resist it or, and you know, this is just crazy going back to that. It made me think of um, critical race theory. Mm -hmm. Why are we debating that? The 1619 Project, and it even reminds me of Hannah Jones. This woman is a Nobel Peace Prize winner. Phenomenal. But Racism don't exist, but you won't give her tenure. Hmm. And don't want to teach critical race theory, but you're not racist and nothing's about race. Okay, from the moment that we're born, what the birth certificate ask? Race. Race. <laughs> Job application, race. College application, race. Our parents name us certain names. Why? Because our race is going to affect us. Uh my mom wanted to name me Alondra, but she felt like it might be a little ghetto. So she changed my name to Ashley. Yeah, like it, it is crazy. Just even in politics, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the Voices of Political Change Institute and I'm, you know, in a, a cohort of black political activists, mainly black women. And they've talked to me about how even the Democratic Party will not support them. They lost, not because people didn't vote for them, but because they did not have the money. And I'm like, it, I'm like, even in a party that claims to, you know, we're not like the Republicans. Okay. It's kind of just like Republicans, poor people in regular print, and then Democrats, poor people in cursive. <laughs> and it really angered me to hear, you know, and some of these women were from Raleigh that they lost because of poor campaign management and because of underfunding from the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. So, shout out to all the black women running for office. We need you, y'all are great. <laughs> talking, <laughs> to my, talking to myself, speaking it. But uh, yeah, so we have a long, long way to go for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely.
And I think it's great that you mentioned, you know, being part of the core holder. I've been like seeing on your Instagram that you're like speaking at more, you know, talks and events. So what kind of inspired you to like go down like that path and like share your story and like, you know, spreading awareness, you know, to people? Well, I've always, I was the type of kid, I wasn't going to talk to you if you weighed me in the stroller, but when it was time to eat and speak out, oh, I'm going to talk. I told my mom since I was a little girl, I was like, man, mom, I remember her ironing my dad's shirts and we would watch the news and politics and Bush, all that stuff. I'd be like, mom, these men are stupid. I want to work at the Museum of History one day. And she was like, okay. She always thought I was silly. I am silly, but I'm being dead serious. So um, I've always been involved. I was always on Raleigh Youth Council. Um, I was on Raleigh, I think it's called Raleigh Young Adult Council. So I've always been involved at the city level. Um, And then my mom works for the state. She works for the um, Department of Insurance. And I was working with the State Employees Association in North Carolina. And I just had all these opportunities. I've always been president and involved in club in high school, National Honor Society president, history club president. Um, And I've always been immersed in history and just wanted to know. And then um, when I worked at the Museum of History, I was nominated by someone who works in the GA. I'm also a lobbyist. I lobby for bills. We went together in 2019. Yes. Um, And so... It's like the more this stuff calls out, I feel like I say the stuff that needs to be said. And I mentioned earlier that I was an indigo child and I wanna kind of like explain what that means. So an indigo child is somebody that is sent by the universe or God to shake things up. We we do not like to conform, we don't. I, I don't like to conform to the matrix. I am my own person. I am all about equality um, and for collective growth even if that means dismantling and causing a little bit of havoc to do so and making people uncomfortable in the process. Um, And I just feel like that's my calling. And also my, you did a numerology chart for me. My uh, master number is 11. So that's like, yeah, I'm um, very, very humanitarian. I've always spoke out. Um, Yeah. And people ask me to speak on stuff or either I have creative ideas and I'm like, you know what? I want to speak out about this because there may be a little black girl somewhere going through this and may not have the tools or resources to know how to come through this. And so I'm all about building a legacy. And there's this teaching in Native American culture called uh, Seven Generations. And we believe that seven generations ago, our grandmothers prayed for us. And so now as current, we're going to be sitting on the cloud of glory one day. I want to leave behind something for people that I care about and my future bloodline to have something to go by. So that is something that motivates me to do that. That's great. I think it's great that you're out, like really out here speaking on things that really need to be talked about that people tend to steer away from. And I, what I've known during this collective shift, what I've noticed rather is that a lot of people are shaking things up and that's why things seem a little bit crazy, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, in order for like things to really shift, like, you know, like shift into like that 5D consciousness, mm-hmm. you know, things, things have to be stirred up. And it does involve like the, the destruction of like certain programs that were programmed to believe institutions, you know, ways of living that 
you know, did more harm than good to us as a collective, as a people. So it is, I've definitely noticed quite a few Indigo children. I know, you know, a couple myself. I'm more, I don't think I'm necessarily an Indigo child, but I'm just like a highly intuitive person. But <laughs> let me ask you this. Do you think, I know there's Indigo children, Rainbow children, Star Seeds. Do you do you identify with any of those other labels or I'm I'm more of a star seed. Okay. <laughs> okay. Nice. Oh. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, that's like my wavelength. <laughs> so I tend to stay over there. And I've been like told by several people that I give off star seed qualities. So obviously I had to like look into it and see what they were talking about. And it it does fit. Me the most. I, when somebody told me that I was like indigo child I don't like indigo and I'm like oh <laughs> I'm like what oh, okay yeah that's me I do like to speak up a little bit and my mom look she my mom was a Pisces um throwing shade again no let me stop she's very supportive but she be looking at me like Ashley what good is speaking up gonna do um, it lets the oppressor know that I, when I speak, I speak with authority, first and foremost. I have the voice of a God. I'm not God, but I have the voice of a God, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I'm taking up space. I said, we have, yeah, we inherit ancestral trauma, but I have ancestral wisdom. Sometimes when I go into a room and I have, sometimes these conversations are so hard, I don't, I don't know what to say, but I pray and I asked my ancestors and God, I'm like, speak through me. What should I say? Mm. So it's kind of like, I've been prophesized that I have medium qualities. I'm clairvoyant. Um, and I can like hear stuff sometimes. So yeah, I, sometimes they speak through me because sometimes these conversations are so hard. I don't know what to say. Yeah. So. yeah. It is good. It's good to have like that connection and just like really getting to know your ancestors and knowing that like their presence is really felt. I've had a friend of mine tell me that if you like hear like certain noises or if you see certain numbers, like that's like your ancestors' way of like saying like, oh, we're here. Four, 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 our angels are around us. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So it's, it's it's very important to have like that relationship and it also gives you like a sense of sovereignty, really, because like, you're operating from a space of like non-conformity. You're not conforming to like the 3D matrix-like constructs. You're, you know, operating from a, a space of divinity. And that's something that really is very important. And I think it's also important to note to I feel like a lot of people have like, you know, that ability to do that. It's just a matter of how maybe they don't know how to like, you know, start or really like, really initiate, you know, like that relationship. You do have to step into your power. I've always known I was intuitive. Like, um, I just learned, tell me if you've learned this, that if you see a spider, that's your ancestors protecting you. Have you heard of that? I have a spider in this house right now. So yeah, I've heard of that. (laughs) 
Hell shit. <laughs> okay. That, that's why I don't touch spiders anymore. I just let them, let them do their thing. Like I'm scared of spiders, so I'm gonna need my ancestors to send a little something else. Okay, let me stop. <laughs> but I've always been that kid where I can walk into a room and there will be a bug there. Like I would just always be that kid. And I'm like, ah, my mom was like, why are you like this? I'm like, sis, I don't know. Um, I'm always seeing cardinals, blue jays. It's very rare to see bald eagles. I see bald eagles all the time. I saw a groundhog two days ago when I was coming on Hillsboro. I saw a groundhog. Um, I, I saw, saw I see rabbits a lot too. I see mm-hmm. bunny rabbits. I saw a bunny rabbit like like two days ago, literally just like hopping through the neighborhood. And I thought it was funny. But and with reading and with reading tarot for my business, what made me start is like I said, like my twin flame journey, I was ghosted. I was done really, really badly. And I wanted, I was like, I I wanted to know like why? Like why Lord, why me? Because I feel like I'm often placed in people's lives to teach them to advance their spiritual growth, kind of like as a catalyst. Because yeah. my my twin, he's not re- he's not religious and he's not really into spirituality. He's into philosophy and physics. So when we did have convos, we would talk about the universe and kind of like galaxies in that sense, but not more so in a place to help achieve your higher self or like your best self. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed with like reading tarot, I'm helping a lot of other women and, and also read for men as well. Um, and I've been seeing more birds. I see more synchronicities. Um, my ancestors communicate with me through music. Um, I usually, before this, I did not dream, but I dream a lot now and I get downloads um, through my dreams. But also Jupiter is in Pisces right now, which is a um, ruling sign, so. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very, I just think is it's very fascinating, but at the same time, it is a lot of work. And I think that's another thing people need to understand is that I think another thing that I've noticed like in the spiritual community is there's a little bit of like dissociation from like the shadow work is like if you really want to like, you know, achieve like your higher skill. Well, I won't say achieve. That's not that's not a good word. But, you know, like, you know, reach. reach, reach your higher self. Yeah, that's a better word. Like you have to do the work. And shower work is very important to, you know, reaching that that point where you're like connected to your higher self and connected to divinity. So I think it's also important to like know like the dissociation that you know that is prevalent. Like it's not all like you know good vibes and high vibrations and that's toxic, right? That's toxic. It is very it's very toxic. And and, don't get me wrong. I love, I use my aromatherapy. I have some crystals, but okay. Like you said, you have to do the shadow work. Like I'm the type of person, if somebody comes to me for a reading, I'm not going to, oh my God, he's your soulmate. He loves you. This is a karmic. We got the 10 of swords, poo. This is a karmic. You better run, you know, but (laughs) I'm, I'm I'm very blunt. And a lot of readers are just light workers who specialize in love don't tell people I tell my clients I'm like look you cannot manifest from a place of lack you cannot call in your soulmate if you are codependent you cannot call in your soulmate if you want to give love but you can't receive it you cannot call in your soulmate that way Mm -hmm. union must union starts with you and it starts within 
You can get all the tarot readings you want. You can mess with all the crystals, take as many nature walks. But if you are not doing the work, you will get karmic lessons. You will be forced. Okay, we have a, a card in tarot called the tower card. You will have a tower moment and you're going to be forced by the divine to get your ish together. So it's best to go ahead and do that before you are forced. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of ways that you can do shadow work. I think for me, my way was like doing a lot of journaling, like shadow work journaling. And it can be whatever's like lingering on my mind and I take it, I put it on paper. Right. And I can say the way I do it is like, I go like maybe like a couple weeks, like just doing like deep, like shadow work. And that's what I've been doing like the past month. Like, like May throughout this month. It's like doing a lot of deep work and like meditations and reflections. And it brings like a rise of like emotions and that it helps with the purging and releasing. But, you know, in that shadow work, you find out some things about yourself that, you know, it could kind of help you along your, your journey as well. So it's not like all like bad and darkness, you know, there's some things about yourself that you can like bring out and like apply to your life. And I think I read a post about it on, on Instagram. It's just like, don't get too caught up in like the, the releasing and the purging to the point where you don't like experience like the joy and like, you know, the happiness that comes with, you know, like, like just like the aftermath of the release and then you feel like, you know, like a lot more weight is like being lifted off your shoulders. So that's another thing too. It's, it's a it's a balance, really. Yeah, yes. Because some people, like, we have to talk about those different stages of shadow work. Okay. If you are having an ego death, you will go through the dark night of the soul. But after you, after you have your ego death and you go through the dark night of the soul, um, healing is a never-ending pro uh, process. And it's not linear. So exactly. for me... I have father wounds that I need to work on. I've already been through my dark night of the soul, right? So shadow work for me looks like speaking to my inner child. And a lot of people don't talk about this, but there is also an inner teenager. So, Did you explain that? Um, yeah. So when we talk about um, our inner child, um, I kind of see it as like if I close my eyes, there's like this little kid just standing there. Um, and I asked myself, like you, I journal, I'm like, okay, what did I not get during my childhood that affects this relationship? Okay, if I need a lot of reassurance, is that because my dad was absent? And how can I fix that? And I'll write a letter to God about what I want to release. I meditate. And I, I also have been going to, to, going to therapy um, on and off. But pleasing your inner child can be something as like spending time as nature, going to the park. It may be like getting cornrows with braids, putting your hair into little pigtails, kind of like catering to you um, in the ways that you didn't have access to as a child. Uh -huh. And then if you're in your teenager, same thing. Like if that's going to get pizza with a friend or because growing up, I grew up in a domestic violence household. I was not allowed to have people over. So uh -huh. I'm kind of like and I don't really like to mingle unless I have to so and and it's been it's been a process like I get in these moods where I want to hang out and I don't want to hang out anyway 
Um, so, <laughs> I'm an ambivert. I'm like, Ugh, I don't feel like seeing people today. People are outside. But anyway, um, just kind of like giving, like you said, balancing what you were lacking as a child or teenager and giving that yeah. to yourself. Yeah, that's for me, inner child work is very important. And my go-to, since I'm very creative and artistic, mm-hmm. I like started painting recently, painting and drawing, which is something that I didn't know how to do previously, but now I'm like teaching myself how to do it. And I think because I've always loved art, but I think when I was younger, it was kind of like I was discouraged from going that route because it wasn't profitable or (laughs) it wouldn't make me a lot of money. So I kind of like stayed away from it. But now I get joy out of just like painting and drawing, doing photography. And I even saved up money to um, buy myself a violin. I played violin um, for like five years when I was younger. So now I'm getting back into it. And so it's, it's just a way for me to like feel connected to, you know, like my inner child. Like I've always loved like art and music and those things growing up. And I was, I would say I was more introverted back then than I am now, you know. I, I think I I'm a little more ambiverted now. I like to, you know, hang out and mingle more these days. But back then, not so much. But music and, you know, art and creating was like kind of like my way to express myself in ways that I couldn't ver- do verbally. And it is a very healing experience. And it's also very meditative too, especially painting. Like I'll sit here in my living room and then I'll, paint or like play like some music in the background and it's like very meditative and relaxing and I think with inner child work it does come with a sense of you know confronting you know those innermost thoughts because I think sometimes when we're like going through like our like our inner battles in a way it's kind of like our inner child like crying out to us, like, please talk to me. Please give me attention. Like, I I need you. And it's kind of like a a way to, like, acknowledge your inner child. And what I like to do is, like, I, like, kind of, like, mentally, like, imagine myself when I was younger. Or better yet, like, I have, like, a picture, pictures of myself when I was younger, and I'll kind of, like, take a look at it. And then I, like, like, put it mentally in my head. And then I kind of, like, have like a an internal conversation with like my inner child. And then like after I finish, it's like give like a, a imaginary hug. <laughs> and then and then you kind of like just kind of like release. Mm-hmm. release like whatever feelings that you're having when you're going through that process. It is a very deep but very thought provoking work. It's honestly like if you're interested in having kids, like it's really good for people to do that. Like you have to show up for your inner child before you can show up for your unborn child, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, is I think once people like get into like 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 their own little groove of doing their inner work, because mm-hmm. it's 
really is like the starting, like putting that, that one foot forward. I think that kind of like pushes people back because they don't know how to like, like initiate. And when you like go through like a spiritual awakening or if you have like karmic lessons or especially if you have like karmic debt, debt in your life, you kind of have no choice. You just gotta, uh, like you kind of just like you just pushing. <laughs> well, you're, right you're right about that. Especially and if you're like putting up with other people, like past lives, like past life traumas, and then it's carrying through your life. Yes. You gotta do that work. And then you probably won't even like clear it out in your lifetime. You got pass it on. Four cutting. I have a friend that does Reiki healing. Um, uh-huh. Four cutting and purging is really important. I haven't had Reiki done. I, I'm kind of like on the fence about it. But some people, like you said, if you have a lot of karmic debt and you need help, you may need. A spiritual advisor to help uh-huh. if, yeah because I, I don't know um I'll, I'll read tarot I can read cards room and and chicks all day but I'm I cannot <laughs> uh, uh-uh. yeah so, yeah so I think kind of like a a final thought is what are like some of your your future like aspirations, future goals. It could be, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be necessarily like career related. Well, I want to get my tarot business running off the ground. So if y'all need a reading, just DM me. And I'm proud of myself for even like talking about this because going back to the Baptist family, my grandma doesn't know that I read, but my mom knows that I read. So I've been kind of like, put my, I'm sorry, I need to put my computer on the charger so it doesn't die. One second. Okay. Um, so I, this is the first person I've told publicly about that. So yeah, kind of like get that off the ground running um, and then also go to law school and continue to join more organizations that kind of like align with my soul's purpose. Mm-hmm. That's great. You know, I'll be rooting for you. I'm like, <laughs> go Ashley, go. <laughs> Yeah, I just think that, you know, a lot of incredible work is being done, like, like people like you and, like, just within the community. And like I said earlier, like, we're going through, like, a big, massive collective shift where people are really, like, shaking things up and stirring the pot and be like, hey, you know, we're not going to keep putting up, putting up with this, you know, stuff like that. Like, this Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people are really like getting in tune with, you know, processing, you know, your traumas and, you know, finding ways to heal. It's a very healing time for us. It may not seem like it with all the craziness that's going on socially and like in like the 3D matrix plane, but there's a lot of healing going on. And I think is great that conversations like this are being had to the point where it can put people in position like hey I'm not alone in this like there's a lot of people that are out here going through the same things I am and people won't feel as isolated because on a spiritual journey you know you can be pretty isolated and sometimes that isolation is needed in order for you to like really center yourself and like you know really dig down deep and do that inner work but sometimes it is great to like have like a community of people or even just like one or two people that are like on like that same wavelength of you know moving forward and shifting that consciousness so I think it's it's very important a lot of great work is being done 
Well, thank you for having me back. It's been a pleasure. And I can definitely see you are getting more ambiverted. You're talking about me and the work I'm doing, girl. You got a whole podcast. Period. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing it. I'm very proud. I've been more assertive this year. I'm proud of that. <laughs> Let's keep it going. Because yeah, your power. You talk your junk. But for real, though. <laughs> yes 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 this has been awesome and it has truly been a blessing and the highlight of my day i cleared off everything i said i can't talk today i gotta go on my girl's podcast (laughs) (laughs) but i I thank you i appreciate it and just just keep up the great work and you're doing amazing all right so thank you everyone for tuning in until next time and i will put ashley's social media um, info in the, the description so you can check her out and if you want a tarot reading she'll be happy to assist you so i'm affordable because screw capitalism <laughs> all right so thank y'all right. i'm gonna let you in the recording real quick okay, okay.